0: Welcome to the STL High School Sports Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Quidal Thanks so much for tuning in. We are back after an extended break for the holidays. Anything going on? Anything at all? Maybe a little bit. But we're here to talk hoops, so I'm very excited to be joined again by A.J. Blankenship of 314 Hoops on Twitter. He and I spoke for about a half an hour, 40 minutes about the area scene, the big performances, the good teams, and uh, we tried to answer a, a very pressing question who's the best team in the Metro Catholic conference. So stick around for that. He's the feature interview this week. I'm also going to catch up with our intrepid reporters who are out covering games. Greg Upton is nice enough to join us. He was at the Webster Groves Pattonville game between two of the area's better public school programs. Ben Vessa was covering the Fort Zumwalt-North-Fort Zumwalt-South rivalry game out in O'Fallon. And we're going to wrap up the show today by talking to Joe Harris, who covers hockey for us at stlhighschoolsports.com and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So we talked hockey for, for quite a while. It wasn't necessarily all deep into the pucks, but we kind of talked about how the pandemic has altered the hockey experience as it has altered so much of our everyday lives. And uh, stick around for that. I was very happy to have Joe back because I do like talking to Joe. So without further ado, here's A.J. Blankenship. I'm now joined by A.J. Blankenship, who is better known on Twitter, at 314hoops. He joined us to preview the district pairings a few weeks back in 2020. So, A.J., welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Dave, thanks for having me back, man. Always a pleasure to talk hoops with you. Well, hoops is in full swing as
0: much as it can be. We're taping this on a Friday. St. Louis U has been on quarantine for, I think, 10 days now, maybe almost two weeks. And it was announced today that the Tigers of Mizzou are also joining the Billikens on quarantine after traveling to Mississippi State this past week. They had positive tests come up. So uh, the high school guys will be kind of the big draw this week if they get to play. Some local teams that are on quarantine include Priory, who's undefeated, the newly minted Ravens, and their uh, best player, Harrison Wilmson. Uh, Coach Bobby McCormick, who recently got his 500th win uh, with, the, with the Ravens. Still wrapping my mind around calling them the Ravens after they dropped their Rebels nickname a couple of weeks ago, so but but high school hoops is kind of going along. So AJ, I was hoping to pick your brain a little bit as as the three one four hoops guy. Uh, what are some of the interesting things you've seen recently? Desmet and Shamanad in particular played the other night, and it was a, it was a tight one for most of the way. I think Shamanad ended up winning by eleven points at the end, but uh, what are your initial thoughts on some, some hot MCC action?
1: Yeah, I caught that game on YouTube last night. Actually, pretty tightly contested game. Obviously, uh, just met not maybe the team that they expected to be coming into the year, losing Yaya Keita to, to the torn ACL, and then uh, Thomas Redmond, their next best player, um, out to focus on soccer. So there are down a couple guys from last year. that graduated Michael Scoff with yaya and redmond they probably would have been a favorite in class five now they're kind of trying to prove that they still belong there i thought they put up a pretty darn good fight against a really good shamanade team it's really interesting to watch seiku gasama now that he's not next to yaya you know yaya's kind of uh, been the one to grow into that spotlight over the years in that twin tower pairing and then Last night, you know, Seku went for twenty-four points in a matchup against Terrace Reed, who's the best big man in the state. So, you know, that that impressed me for sure. But that Chaminade team's tough.
0: Well, I, I talked to Kent Williams in the preseason, and we talked about Yaya not being able to play after tearing his ACL, and he said, "Well, when we're playing at practice, you know, obviously in normal times when things are going the way you hope they will, Yaya and Seku, the best way to get them." you know, scrimmaging is against each other because that's, you know, you got two big guys that size. You want to match up and prepare for a guy like Terrace. But to put them on the court together, I think that's where that things got kind of tough. So Seku, being the lead dog, obviously, like you said, has been interesting to watch as he's grown into that role. 24-8 and eight last night, four fouls as, as he went up against Terrace, who's been, like you said, the best big man in the state. He finished with 15. Um Terrace is uh, just a monster he had twenty five and fourteen against Vahan and six foot ten and really just starting to showcase his ability to to shoot the ball in particular as well. he hit a three pointer the, uh against DeSmet so and I'd say that was an eleven point game it was a 13 thirteen seventy three sixty uh for the red Devils at uh the athletic Tron on the campus of Chaminade the other night. So, but yeah, Terrace is a beast. Seiku is, is, is really an interesting watch.
1: At the risk of upsetting some people. I mean, I'm going to say Terrace Reed's the best player in St. Louis and I, he's only a junior. I mean, that's an impressive thing to say. I don't know how you stop him. Watching a couple of their games on YouTube already this year, his turnaround jumper that he's added to his arsenal is the best move I've seen since Jason Tatum was in high school. He he never brings the ball down from the catch point and doesn't need a dribble to get into that move. So by the time a double team even shows up, he's already shot the ball, and his touch is just so good. It goes in more often than not. I don't know how you stop Terrace Reed.
0: Well, at six foot ten, it's certainly hard to get a hand in his face. <laughs> we just that don't have kids around here teams. that
1: size. Absolutely, not too many teams uh, running out six foot ten. I would have said he's the best player in the state, but uh, Aminu Mohammed might have something to say about that. Aminu,
0: who recently committed to Georgetown, uh, plays down at Greenwood outside er, in Springfield. It was a real treat last year at the Bass Pro getting to watch him. He's pretty special.
1: Absolutely. I. Georgetown's getting a heck of a player there. I mean, people may overlook Greenwood being in that lower classification. I think they moved up to class three this year, uh, but they beat Kickapoo already head to head. Greenwood's got as good an argument as anybody for being top team in the state. No,
0: I Aminu mean, is just that special. So I, I, one big man who might have something to say about that is Sam Thompson, uh, the Francis Howell Sr., uh, had a spectacular performance against O'Fallon Christian a couple weeks back. He went for 55 points, 18 rebounds, 5 blocks. And he did it in all sorts of ways. 16 of 25 from inside the arc, 5 of 7 from behind the three-point arc and eight of nine at the free-throw line. He's been a significant part of that program, especially as a sophomore when they lost in the semifinals uh, when CBC rallied to, to slip past Howell as everybody and their mom fouled out. Sam actually got hurt that game and didn't get to finish. Last year, they rematched in a state quarterfinal that ended up getting played at Francis Howell Central. So Big Sam has has helped put the, the Vikings Vikings on his back this season and and just absolutely exploded against O'Fallon Christian.
1: 55 points, man. Where does that, that rank? Go ahead. Unreal. I mean, 55 points in a 32-minute basketball game is absolutely unbelievable. And happy for Sam to finally get some shine. You know, he's been a big part of those really successful Francis Howell teams, but You had guys like Daylon Dalton and Patrick Schulte and Matthew Simmons and Matt Shark, Shark. you know, taking kind of the, the lead role on those teams. And Sam was always the big kid with the high ceiling that contributed, but he wasn't the star. And now he's showing us what he can be as the star. 55 points, if I'm not mistaken, is the most in a game in this area since I started following basketball around here. Well, somebody reached out to me on Twitter because I went by
0: the Missouri State High School Activities Association record book, which they have repeatedly said is only what the member schools submit. So Ezekiel Elliott isn't in the state record book because apparently John Burroughs never submitted his information. If that's true, that I don't know, but that's what they've told me. So somebody mentioned Josh Robinson at St. Mary's went off for 55 one day as well. I had gotten a chance to watch Josh put the ball in the basket a little bit for the Dragons before I want to say he went off to Austin P. He yep. was absolutely special. So he matched Big Sam, but uh but yeah, I mean cross once you cross 50, that's some pretty rarefied air. I mean that's I mean Jason Tatum never got to 50. That's the you know, I mean, you, when you talk about the great players here, Brad hit 50 as a sophomore. That was at the Pattonville tournament. That was kind of when he announced himself on the scene. Um, Ty, Tyron Williams at Riverview Gardens hit 50 something against Northwest in the city. And, and that was a big moment, kind of put him on the map. So anytime you're crossing that threshold, you're in rarefied air. And, and Big Sam did just that. And his team won. Which, not all those 55 point scorers or 50 point guys can say.
1: It's certainly going to go down as one of the most impressive single game performances that uh, 3 on 4 Hoops has ever gotten to see. <laughs> and you've seen some hoops, man. We've seen some. I mean, you talk about Jordan Barnett in the state championship game. Talk about Jason Tatum in the third-place game against the U-High. I mean, there's been some performances, but I've never seen 55. That was unreal.
0: Spectacular work by Big Sam. Congratulations to him. So I, I was going to throw some topics at you, and I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on them. And this kind of relates back to the MCC we were talking about. CBC versus Chaminade. Who do you think is going to win the MCC this year, and who do you think the the number one team in the area, large school, is? It's an
1: extremely difficult question. It was an extremely difficult question coming into the year, and I don't think the sample size that we've gotten really makes it any clearer. Um, I think Terrace Reed is the best player in that game, and usually I will go with the best player in a game like that But I think the difference in that game is potentially Rob Martin. Um, Chaminade doesn't necessarily have a true point guard. B.J. Ward, the sophomore, is really growing into that role, and I've been extremely impressed with him. But a great point guard, the level of Rob Martin, can make such a difference at the high school level. Uh, That causes me to, to want to give CBC the edge, but in order for me to really do that, I need some of their secondary scorers to, to show up a little more as the season goes on. Otherwise, I think Chaminade's probably got just the depth of scoring to overwhelm them. When you talk about Terrace, you talk about Mayo, you talk about Nate Strotter, B.J. Ward. And then Philip Sinabad, the transfer, uh, had a big game last night against the Smet at six seven. He can really stretch the floor.
0: I think Chaminade's biggest advantage there is the size, because like you said, Terrace is a is a matchup problem for just about everybody, but Francis Howell with Sam Thompson. So I CBC hasn't had a big guy who could kind of at least be five fouls and make Terrace miserable for uh, for a little while while he's on the court. So um, Eric Holmes is six eight. He's a junior. He had a big game against St Mary's the other night. Had a double double for the cadets. Uh, the the X factor to me, because because when you're talking high school hoops, the backcourt generally is where you're going to find your best teams. Like point guards at this any level, but this level in particular are worth their weight in gold. And I'm with you. I I think Rob Martin is the best point guard in the conference as of this moment. Um, he's on his third varsity season. He's been given the keys pretty much the last season and a half. I, I mean, he had a lot of responsibility even as a freshman. But Chevalier Karate Brenson to me, is the guy that's the most important piece of the puzzle for the cadets, for them to be successful. He's their best rebounder consistently. He's their toughest defender. He's, he's, he's their senior, essentially. Well, actually, he's one of two on the roster, Jeremiah King uh, being the other. But but Karate's the guy who's playing for no tomorrow. So I I just think his energy, his intensity, that kind of filters through. The X Factor, what I was going to say, is Larry Hughes Jr., who hasn't had a great start to his season. Uh, Obviously, he has a very famous name. His father played at CBC, did one year at St. Louis U, and then had a pretty impressive NBA career. But Larry Hughes Jr. scored two points against St. Louis U High in the first game of the season. Had four points against Cardinal Ritter in the Cadets' second game. Did match his career high with 20 against St. Mary's earlier this week. But through three games, he has scored 26 total points on a team that lost Caleb Love to North Carolina, who was averaging 28 a game for the most points for the most part, excuse me. And I, I'm just curious if he can figure out a way to consistently put the ball in the basket. I think he was one for nine from the field against Cardinal Ritter, uh, reigning Class Three champion Cardinal Ritter, I should say. But but the cadets are only going to go as far as, as Larry Hughes Jr. can take them because they have Rob, they have Karate. I think they can figure out a way to to have some front court guys do some things. But Larry Hughes Jr. has to be big for them. What do you see out of the cadets and their their famous junior
1: guard? You hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I mentioned I think the secondary scorers for CBC have to really step up. As talented and gifted as Rob Martin is, he is more of a pure point guard, floor general type of player. He can score because of his quickness and ability to get to the basket. But he's at his best when he's distributing and creating for those other guys. The primary other guy this year should be Larry Hughes Jr. Like you mentioned, a lot of points have been opened up. This, this is his year to break out. Um, obviously, fair to him or not, there's high expectations because of his name, because of the school that he goes to and all the hype. There are very high expectations around him. And if CBC's going to be the team to reach the Final Four again, make a deep run, He's going to have to be as big a part of it as anybody else. Mikhail Abdul-Hamid, their other wing, is a a really good shooter, uh, but Larry's their most complete scorer when he's at his best, and they need him to get to that point to make a deep run.
0: Abdul-Hamid is a good piece of that puzzle. He's a huge part of that. I mean, he's so far this season, we have statistics through the first two games. He's 5 of 14 from three, shooting about 36 percent, and – they, they really, Coach Tatum said they really worked with him to to not let him shoot the ball so much that he would be more of a, you know, put it on the floor, mid-range game to kind of open up his his scoring repartee, shall we say. But, I mean, when you have, if you can get him going, Larry Hughes Jr. going, and then Rob is is free to knock down jumpers as he's. Sees fit because there are very few people in the area who can stay in front of him, and that just causes all kinds of troubles for driving, kicking, driving, laying it up, pull up jumper, those kinds of things. They can be a real problem. Shamanad, like you mentioned, I mean, I mean, Mayo Jr. is an absolute standout for them, has been since he arrived on the varsity team. He's averaging just about 16 points a game and just always manages to stuff the stat sheet. Five rebounds, three assists, a couple of steals, a couple of blocks. So we have photos of Damian Mayo Jr. blocking shots like he's a like a small forward or a power forward, and he's a six-foot guard out here swatting stuff. When you watch that dude play, what do you really see
1: out of, out of him, and what, just, what really jumps out? You said, I mean, he's got a motor that never quits. Reminds me a ton of Fred Thatch, the Sykeston superstar that's now at SLU. Uh, he's a little smaller than Fred, but when you talk about a big-bodied guard, you know, Mayo's got that thicker frame that just plays really hard, and his athleticism is off the charts. I mean, he had a dunk last night. If you haven't seen it, go look it up on Twitter. My man just lobs or ball his life will have it for you. Uh, he dunked all over Seiko Gasama last night. It, oh. it, it was a nasty one, and it, he's his motor is a, a difference maker for that team. Uh, his jump shots still coming along, but he gets by because of how hard he plays and how hard he defends. Sets the tone for the Red Devils. And Coach Frank
0: Bennett always praises Mayo for doing the right things as a, as a in the classroom, on the court. I mean, he's a guy who can score four points and be just as excited his team won as if he'd scored 40. He's got a great attitude, and, and everything points to him being a, a huge part of that program's success going forward. So my prediction is CBC and Shamanad if everybody gets to play home and home, because 2020 taught us anything nothing is guaranteed but i i think they split and share the conference championship and then the battle royale and the district championship game with a really good webster groves falling to either one of those two powerhouses how's that sound to you
1: you know i think that's pretty uh spot on i'll be surprised if they don't split the regular season matchup and uh predicting the playoffs this time of year is near-impossible task because these teams are going to look completely different two months from now. And, of course, all things being
0: equal if we get there.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) There are certainly no guarantees in the year 2021. So moving just a
0: bit to the side of CBC Chaminade, St. Louis U High had a huge win the other night, beat University City, managed to slip past the previously undefeated lions who've been playing great, uh, 40 to 39. Nick Kramer is a guy who's really exploded on the scene. He's kind of done this year what you and I were, and other people were kind of thinking Larry Hughes Jr. might. He, he's really asserted himself. He had a viral dunk when he laid it down the hammer down the lane at CBC. The cadets obviously obviously won the game. But but he was a force in that game. He's been really good this season for uh, for for the junior bills, averaging you know fifteen and nine with more than two assists, two steals, and almost two blocks per game. Uh, he, he was a guy as a freshman who injured his wrist and and never really recovered. Last year was you know a sophomore in the varsity was really his first full season, and this year he's just gone. Absolutely bonkers. What have you seen out of young Nick and the junior bills?
1: One of the most gifted offensive players in the area. I think, I mean, I think he averaged about 17 a game last year. He's at about 15 and a half so far this year. Like you said, he can stretch the floor. Uh, he's hit six threes in four games so far this year, but he can also bang inside at six, four, six, five, in a thick frame reminds you a little bit of uh Dylan Branson, with just stylistically how he can uh, do multiple things, banging inside or stretching the floor. And it, he's got a little edge to his game as well. I like the leadership of Kramer on what is somehow still a young, slew-high team. That team feels <laughs> like it's been young for six years. Uh, But, you know, Kramer is a perfect leader for that team. And uh I love their little sophomore point guard, A.J. Walker, as well. No, the uh, the the coach Claggett
0: over there at down off of uh, Oakland, he's got a he's got a group he's been grooming. He this is kind of how it goes for him. He had a group like this when they went to back to back state semifinals a couple years back, and he's he's kind of rerunning the playbook. Bring them up young, let them take their lumps, and by the time they're juniors and seniors, they can go hand a few out. Of their own so but the junior bills scored a nice win over U-City who's been a real joy this season they went out and won the Borgia tournament and and they beat Fort Zumwalt North in the championship game which pitted coach Kelvin Lee of U-City formerly of St. Mary's and Chaminade previously and against Kelvin Lee Jr. Uh, KJ Lee who's Fort Zumwalt North's uh, lead dog out there so they picked up a nice win over Westminster. They beat the Francis Howell team. We just spent a couple minutes talking about how amazing Sam was. But then the U-High nipped them, and then St. Dominic got them by a point. So U-City 7-2, two, two losses by a combined two points. That, that's a group that, like the U-High, is, had been young on the varsity. Now they're kind of older. Uh, Jalen Hampton's their their main guy, averaging 18-7, and seven, and... Carlton Thomas and Brandon Ming are both averaging about 11-12 points and a couple of rebounds there, too, to give the Lions three guys averaging double figures. What have you seen out of U-City?
1: You know, we didn't do a top 10 this year on 3-on-4 hoops, given all the circumstances. But if we did, U-City would have been in our preseason top 10, would have been their first appearance in the top 10 because I liked what I saw out of them last year. Uh, They got a talented transfer this year in Thomas, and uh, we talked about the impact a point guard can have at the high school level. If you go look at the box scores for U-City, you're not going to notice Larry Abbey very much. He's not a, necessarily a stat sheet stuffer right now. He's only averaging six points, one rebound, four assists. He's only hit one three on the year. But if you watch the Lions play, the ball is constantly in the hands of Larry Abbey. He's the one that runs the show for him. He's the one that sets the tone with their defensive intensity. And I think Larry Abbey is one of the better floor generals in the area when we talk about guys like Rob Martin. Um, so I think U primed for a, a heck of a rest of the season. Uh, they probably don't have very many losses left on their schedule when you run it down. And they're deep, athletic, talented, well-coached. I like the, their outlook. Coach Kelvin Lee
0: was very excited about Abby when he was at St. Mary's. He worked with a young Uri Collins. He compared him to Uri. He said he's the best floor general he's had since, and reminds him of Uri, but Coach Coach Lee is prone to comparison. He also compared a lot of these, uh, Jalen Hampton in particular, to both Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal, who were currently among the top four scorers in the NBA. I I mean, Coach Lee's... He's the one who's been there and done it, but that is very high praise um, for 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 a high school senior. So, I, but yes, Larry Abbey is 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 a guy who Coach Kelvin Lee really loves and obviously trusts because he does put the ball in his hands so much. So, uh, but they did get nipped at the buzzer by Saint Dominic, who I, at this point probably can claim to be the best team in St. Charles County. I don't know that. I mean, they did lose to Francis Howell head-to-head in the Tro- Troy uh, Invitational Championship game in early in December. But but Dominic's really been rolling here for the last couple of weeks. Since then, they haven't lost 8-2 and, and doing some impressive things uh, coming off a district championship last year. Uh, Ryan Schwendeman is, is among the best players big fellas out here if you want to call six five power forwards big fellas he's averaging 21 nine couple of uh, assists couple of steals a game and and saint dominic has been very impressive have you gotten a chance to see the crusaders this year
1: i've only been able to catch a little bit of them but they're a very solid team uh they remind me a little bit of some of the uh prime years of Vianney and in the way that they run their stuff. Um, They're, they're extremely well coached. They space the floor and they stretch the floor extremely well. One of the best three point shooting teams in the area led by Anthony Lewis, who's hitting over three threes a game. Uh, And then Schwendeman can stretch the floor a little bit for a big man. And then they've got, you know, Brendan Dieters and uh, Patrick Sullivan up there that are stretching the floor as well. I agree with you. I think if you're going to pick a team to be the best in St. Charles right now, I would go with St. Dominic over the likes of Francis Howell or Fort Zumwalt North,
0: but it's a tight race between the three. Pretty impressive stuff for the Crusaders who haven't necessarily been that great for a long time, but here they are riding the wave from last year, a team that has been really competitive and, and, and among the best in the area for a long time, traditionally powerful is Hazelwood central. Now, like North most of North County, uh, the Hawks haven't played a game this season. The, Normandy just restarted basketball. They played Confluence Prep Academy the other day with our buddy Brian Carvinen leading the way for CPA. Coach K and the high flying Titans, is that what we're calling those guys?
1: CPA's I been playing they great. Are. <laughs> It, they've got uh, CBC tonight at, at 6.30. I'm going to try to catch that one on YouTube. Should be a good
0: one. I, I expect CPA will, will, will make sure little Larry has to put the ball in the basket. Like That's, that's something that's going to happen. But Normandy got back in action against CPA the other night. Pattonville, who's 4-0 at last check, has been playing really well. But otherwise, North County is pretty much dark. The Hazelwood District has not played. Ferguson-Florison, which is McClure, McClure North, and McClure Steam, or South Berkeley, whatever we're calling it now. N- none of those schools have have practiced, played games, and whatnot. But, but Central was going to be up against it coming into this season anyway. We talked previously, they lost Ahmad Scarbo, they lost Jaden Nicholson, who all both went down to St. Louis Christian, and recently, Cole Farrell uh, transferred to Hamilton Heights. It's a, what is it, a prep school?
1: Is I believe that it's a prep it? school in Tennessee, correct?
0: Yeah, and they're they're playing a national schedule. They're essentially doing what St. Louis Christian's varsity team is, is going everywhere, we, uh, playing in showcases and whatnot. So if and when Hazelwood Central does get to restart playing, I, I'm curious what the Hawks are going to look like considering how vastly – different that roster is compared to what everyone thought it might look like coming into just a couple of weeks ago.
1: I haven't seen very many teams with as much roster overturn, not because of seniors in one off season. I mean, that they had so many guys transfer out of there. Um, but at the same time, they're always a solid team, always one of the best in North County. And it's going to be an interesting season for them. One, because of the amount of overturn, and two, they're starting a couple months later than everybody else. That can work to their advantage a little bit. They're a little fresher. They're a little more fired up to see somebody besides themselves. But also, probably not as sharp as these teams that have already played five, six, maybe even ten games to work some of the kinks out.
0: And my apologies, Pattonville is 5-0. My, I'm sorry, I missed ah, their last one. Well, game.
1: you wouldn't want to shorten one. <laughs> no,
0: I mean, every win is big. And as far as I can tell, this is the first time Pattonville's undefeated through its first five games in a long time. Obviously, the Pattonville tournament was one of the best early season tournaments in the area, if not the state, for a very long time. A couple of years ago, it, it, it kind of just died out. But they always had a tough schedule early. So they never got that 5-0, 6-0, 8-0 kind of start. 5-0 now and playing great, which is transitions into the, the district tournament that Hazelwood Central is in because no matter how many games you get in the regular season, none of it matters until you get to the playoffs. I mean, that's obviously where you want to be playing your best and whatnot. But Pattonville, Hazelwood Central, and St. Louis U High are all in a district together. So like I said, Pattonville 5-0, and Kellen Thames is another guy who's really exploded this year. 19.2 points, 8 rebounds, almost 8 assists, almost 3 steals per game, a couple of blocks here and there. Obviously, another young man with a famous last
1: name. Have you caught any of the Pirates this year? This year, unfortunately, I haven't caught the Pirates yet, but I'm looking forward to it kellen's been underrated for a couple of years now he's an extremely gifted player uh, i said it last year at the vianney tournament if that kid went to chaminade everybody in st louis would know his name but uh pattenville maybe doesn't get some of the hype that these other schools get but he's putting himself on the map this year by racking up those w's and uh, i look forward to catching one of their games in the real near near future because uh, i know that they've gotten off to this hot start and i'd like to to see uh, Kellen Thames and Levi Banks and the crew uh, continue this hot streak. Well, they're slated
0: to play Webster Groves tonight, Friday, as we tape this. I'm curious how that will go. I mean, obviously, you want everybody to play, especially in these COVID times. And then, you know, uh, COVID notwithstanding, they're they're at the Washington tournament starting next week. And if memory serves, the Washington tournament is usually – gets snowed out at some point that poor that poor tournament always has weather issues that make it impossible to to play those three games over the course of the week it's it's actually kind of frustrating I'd imagine for the folks at Washington
1: but that matchup with Webster this evening should be a really good gauge uh for a Pattonville team that you know is trying to to work themselves up into the ranks of the big boys in Webster. Obviously, one of the historically better programs around. This is a great early season litmus test for both teams. So,
0: Pattonville's got Webster Friday night, Washington tournament next week. All things, you know, go forward. They they get to play Whitfield, who had a huge win over DeSmet this week. In a bit of a, a a bit of a head scratcher because Whitfield's young and up and coming and and kind of you know took some lumps to start the year. I want to say they lost yep they lost their first four games. Um, got a nice win over a, a solid Lutheran North. Beat Fort Zumwalt West like a drum fifty nine twenty eight, and then messed around and went to DeSmet and won 50-46. Another program that consistently among the best small schools in the area coach Mike Potsu does a nice job and that's a group who at the end of the year is going to be a real pain tough schedule for Whitfield at Pattonville then they host CBC host Westminster host O'Fallon Christian and Vashon
1: Mike always stacks up that schedule for Whitfield they never have backed down from anybody since the uh torrence watson days and i had to to double check when i saw that they beat Desmet the other night i thought i was looking at the girls scores but then i realized Desmet doesn't have girls <laughs> so i i couldn't believe it but i'm it's a great sign for a young whitfield team uh jordan williams their point guard is uh one of my favorite young players to watch in the area and congratulations to coach patsu on that win and Talks with Coach Patsu, whose uh, father, Lou, passed away this past offseason. Yes, he did. L- Lou was a, a basketball icon in St. Louis. So uh, all my best wishes to the Patsu family.
0: So we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch on uh, Vashon, the Wolverines, consistently, if not the most recognized team from St. Louis, definitely from the city, if not from the greater metropolitan area, and if not the state, if we're being honest. They uh, they beat Chaminade in a tight one. Keyshawn Gilbert had 22 points uh, to tack on with wins over uh, St. Louis Christian's B team. Uh, a very impressive South Iron, who we talked about the last time you were on. And they host Tolton, all things being equal, on Saturday. It's it 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 doesn't matter who the guys are with the jerseys on. If you're wearing a Vashon jersey, apparently you can hoop, and these guys are out here hooping. Like I said, with Keyshawn Gilbert and Nick Kern and Rico Bailey, and and winning at Shamanade is hard to do, especially when you're digging out of a hole. And the and the Wolverines
1: did that just before the new year. I couldn't have said it better than you did when you said it as long as you've got that Bashan jersey on, you can hoop. I mean, it's amazing what they're able to do year in and year out. When you look at the overturn on that roster, when you look at losing Cameron Fletcher, you look at losing Kobe Clark, you lose Philip Russell. I mean, that's three high-level Division One players that have moved on. And in my opinion, they're the best team in St. Louis right now without much of an argument. Um, it's... It's incredible what Coach Irons is able to do with the longevity of success in that program.
0: I mean, I preseason we were doing rankings, and I I had Cardinal Ritter with all it brought back and all of its pieces at number one. I had Vashon at number two because they lost so much in small school rankings. But, I mean, the the Wolverines just keep doing it, man. I just can't say how big that win at Chaminade is. And it just... Just, I'd imagine that's huge for them because there are so many different guys and different roles for that that group. But I mean, you take you take Bashan over CBC right now, head to head.
1: I think so. I because it's I so tight fair. for me between CBC and Chaminade, uh, and not that that Bashan Chaminade game wasn't tight. It was tight as can be. But um, I just think Bashan has already accomplished more so far this year than CBC has having that victory over Chaminade. When you look at talent mixed with resume, uh, I would have to have Basham rank, ranked number one right now. Whereas coming into the year, I probably would have had him fourth, I would say. So they're proving me wrong.
0: Fascinating. Who would you have had ahead? CB, well, like, Chaminade? Like
1: you said, Cardinal Ritter brought a lot back. They yep. would have been in that conversation. Um, CBC, Shamanad, and then honestly... Had Yaya Keita and Thomas Redmond been a part of the DeSmet program this year, uh, I would have had DeSmet in there as well. Um, but with those two missing, not as much.
0: Sure. No, I just it, – it and it's such a weird year because you you never know yeah. who's in quarantine, who's out of quarantine. Sometimes it's the whole team. Sometimes it's just a couple of guys. And then everybody's playing with a mask on their face, which is a whole new – thing and no the, the the crowd is significantly smaller. It's just so different. You never know how it's going to go. But I, I think between Vashan, CBC, Shamanad, I think those three at this point have kind of separated themselves from everybody else.
1: I agree. I think there's a pretty decent gap there. I, Cardinal Ritter has has a a way to throw their name in that hat. But besides that, I think when you look at Vachon, CBC, Chaminade, There's a pretty significant drop-off before you get to the likes of, of teams like Ritter, MICDS, um, Westminster, who we haven't mentioned, and they're having a fantastic season. They are. Uh, so I, I think there's that clear top three, and then there's probably 15 teams beyond that that could beat each other. It's going to be fun to
0: watch. A.J. Blankenship of 314 Hoops, thank you so much for dropping by the stlhighschoolsports.com
1: basketball podcast. Dave, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks so much to A.J. Blankenship for joining the show. We appreciate it. Up next on the STL High School Sports Basketball Podcast, we're going to talk to our intrepid reporters who are out covering games. Up first is Greg Upton, who's going to run through the Pattonville-Webster Grove showdown. And then Ben Vess is going to give us his thoughts on the Fort Fort Zumwalt-North-Fort Zumwalt-South rivalry game. We'll wrap up by talking hockey pucks with Joe Harris right after this break. I'm now joined by Greg Upton, who was out at Pattonville covering the big Webster Groves Pattonville game Friday night. Thanks for joining the show, Greg. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, my pleasure, Dave. We had a, a good matchup between two top ten large school teams and it didn't disappoint. Came down to the wire tonight. Good ball game.
0: So what was the final? Did the did the Pattonville Pirates find a way to pull it out? I saw they were down big early.
2: They were down big early, but the Pirates did find a way to pull it out in the end. They win it. 63 to 60 over Webster Grove, so the Pirates remain. Undefeated on the season, now six and zero. They didn't get their sixth win last year until the thirteenth game. If you look at the dates, it's kind of skewed because they got their sixth win on January tenth last year. They get it on January eighth this year. But obviously, they haven't played as many games. If they had played thirteen by then, they've only played six. So you got to look more game wise. Obviously, at that, and so you know, not getting until game thirteen last year, now getting it here in game six. Going six and zero to start the season. Um, it's it's definitely uh, continue the best start for the Pirates uh, this century so far
0: I was going to say I was talking to A.J. Blankenship on the show earlier and we were talking about how Pattonville because of the Pattonville tournament being so loaded never started a season off recently like you said the last several years right. without a loss because the tournament was just that loaded
2: right how are the,
0: the pirates feeling about being undefeated all the way into the first week of
2: january right. well they're they're feeling good about it they're feeling good and it's and it's kind of all a byproduct of just having guys who have been playing together and in the same system now for two or three years i mean you look at the guys who are seniors now on the team levi banks elijah carter uh, Nino Lee, Jonathan Cosby, those guys—you know—they—they were—they've they were, been playing for three or four years, and then obviously Kellen Thames, the, the standout. He's the junior, but he's been on the team from day one when he was a freshman. So these guys have been together and playing and in the same system, getting used to each other now over the last three years. And I'm sure some of them probably even played—you know—at at the uh, lower grade levels too together. So you know, they—they they took their lumps the last couple of years started to figure it out a little bit last year and now really you know this year they've been able to to find that cohesion and really turn it on
0: and you would mentioned Kellen Thames I mean he has been dynamite for them averaging almost 19 points a game about seven rebounds seven assists what was in his overall game tonight as they uh, took well, on a really good statesman team
2: yeah, so he actually he actually struggled a little bit uh, to get things going in the first half. He he uh, only scored one field goal in the first half, and that came with 24 seconds left before halftime, so the Statesman did a really good job of shutting him down early on, had a couple free throws, that was it, he only had four points at halftime, but he made some adjustments in in the halftime locker room. Came out, scored nine points in the in the third quarter, including a jumper that that gave the Pirates their first lead of the game. Kind of fueled a little run for him. He ends up with seventeen, so he's still two below his average. But you know, a nice recovery after you only have four points at halftime. So he really was one of the guys that kind of fueled the run for the Pirates to get back in the game uh, in the second half. So, um, you know, the statesman did, did a good job of shutting him down early, but unfortunately couldn't shut him down for the entire 32.
0: And what, what, Webster jumped out to a pretty sizable lead at one point. Yeah. Right? Double digits, was it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They were uh, so they 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 were up fourteen to twelve at the end of the first quarter. They actually hit their first four shots of the game, and Matt Enright came out on fire, hit a couple threes on his first two shots of the game. He was actually uh, four for four or for five, excuse me, from the uh, three-point, beyond the three-point line in the first half. So he was on fire in the first half. And, yeah, they went on a a run. Uh, He had back-to-back threes, and they ended up going up by 13, 31 to 18. So, you know, everything was looking good. They had all the momentum, but the Pirates end up scoring the last 10 points of the the, uh, first half. And so instead of going into that locker room down, you know, maybe double digits or, you know, maybe eight, nine points, they're only down three. Really, kind of started that uh, momentum for them to come out in the second half and take the lead. So that run at the end of the first half uh, was was really big for the Pirates to to kind of uh, you know turn the tide a little bit and, and and turn you know a thirteen point game obviously into a three point game at halftime. You're much more comfortable being down that than being down double digits at the break.
0: And how did they adjust on Matt Enright, the junior for Webster Groves, as is, is locked and loaded, man? He gets across yeah. half
2: court. He's in <laughs> range. Yes, he what, is. What did they
0: do to adjust to try and, and keep his hot hand from burying them?
2: Yeah, they ended up face guarding him a lot more in that second half and and really made life tough for him to get any real solid lips. Um, he did end up... Uh, with uh, just, he was uh, one out of two from the from the, uh, beyond the three in the second half, so really did a good job of slowing him down. Yeah, they came out and face-guarded him and, and really got up on him and and made other guys try and beat him, and Anthony Pfeiffer sure tried. He ended up, Enright, Enright led the uh, team the entire way pretty much uh, in scoring. He ended up with 22, but Anthony Pfeiffer had such a big second half that he ended up at 24. So those two guys had 46 of their 60 points right there, so he did everything he could to keep the Statesmen in that game, to keep them, you know, with the lead. And they end up actually taking a lead of seven points in the uh, fourth quarter. So they actually, you know, kind of assumed a little bit of control there again in the fourth quarter. But the Pirates made a nice little run down the stretch to get themselves back in the game again. And then uh, Levi Banks hit three free throws in the final minute, and that was the difference. Three points was those three free throws in the final minute.
0: And Levi Banks ended up with a with 15 points for
2: Tatumville. Yep. Um, yeah,
0: you had mentioned Elijah Carter. Early. He had 11. Mm-hmm. Mike Irving had yeah. nine. So a very yeah. balanced effort for the Pirates.
2: Yeah, it really was. And uh, and uh, you know they Elijah Carter was in and out of foul trouble a little bit, so you know he didn't get the minutes that he normally gets out there. But he was kind of the fuel for that run. Uh, In the fourth quarter, you know, when they got down seven points, he hit a jumper, and then on the next, and then when Webster came down on the next possession, he got an overplay steal, went down, and just flushed a huge thunderous dunk that would have had there been you know a crowd there they would have gone nuts um, as it were as it were the players cheerleaders that were their the coaches did go nuts for the Pirates but that, I mean that was a huge jam um, and that got it so quickly that little run by him cut it from seven to three and then they were able to kind of right the ship a little bit and get themselves back you know into the ball game there you know with two three minutes left and, and and then we're able to pull it out but you know he had a huge run there you're right Mike Irving came off the bench hit three huge threes to get those nine points uh, he had two of the threes in the second quarter that was part of that run towards the end of half towards the end of the half that kind of fueled them so he, he had a huge uh, run there at the end of the uh, second quarter and then he hit one in the fourth in the, four, in the uh, third quarter too when they were on their little run to take the lead so yeah he had a nice ball game off the bench and you know Carter's actually their second lead score at 16 points a game, but him being in and out of foul trouble limited him to 11, but he was able to uh, make those count in the fourth quarter.
0: So this is the first win for Pattonville over Webster yeah. and that we have on record. Our, our online right. database goes at stlhighschoolsports.com, goes all the way back to 1999-2000 season. <clears throat> yeah, five times, and this is the first all since 2015, and this is the first time that the Pirates have beaten the States. It's been pretty impressive. Yeah, they,
2: yeah, yeah. They had a little a run there, four years in a row, where they were grouped in the same suburban league, and so they played uh, in those four years at. 2015 to 2018 stretch, and then didn't play last year and then this is the first time that they you know hooked up now as non-conference opponents and that, it's, a, it's a great one you know I was talking to Kelly Thames after the game and he said you know this is the kind of game we need we haven't had any close games a lot of any with the intensity you know because Webster came out on defense just with the kind of intensity that the Pirates hadn't seen from an opponent this season and that kind of shook them there at the beginning and and uh, you know then they were able to kind of you know get their bearings about themselves and, and get back into it. But he, he was saying how this is definitely the kind of kind of game, kind of opponent that that they needed to face. Uh, you know, this early in the season to kind of give them the test to see. You know, is this unbeaten start for real?
0: Well, they're gonna take. Take themselves on the road next week to Washington's tournament. They're going to open up at the Blue Knights on Monday. I was talking to Blankenship earlier on the show, and and the Washington tournament always seems to have weather troubles. It, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it always seems to snow yeah. that week and throws a wrench into their plans. And then the,
3: right. uh,
0: after that, Lord willing, all things go the way we hope they do. Mm-hmm. Um, Pattonville will host Whitfield in a in a in a in a rivalry game for Coach Mike Patsu at Whitfield, who's a Patton right. graduate.
2: Yeah, and and that's one of those where you look at and you go, oh, Whitfield's you know under five hundred, but you can't you can't ever look at the record with them because they play you know such quality of opponents and they play up, they play a lot of large schools. You know they had a huge win over to Smet earlier this week. You know the SMET team that had you know come in with only one loss. You know they they show, uh, slow, uh, slow them down and, and shut them down and, and get a huge win. So that's yeah that'll be another good test for them because they'll, they'll come out and you know you can't look at the record when you look at the warriors um because they'll they'll give them a good a good test too so that'll that'll be a good one coming out of that washington tournament then the following week
0: awesome well greg thank you so much for joining us on the podcast man we appreciate it all right my pleasure I'm now joined by Ben Vessa, who is out in O'Fallon watching Fort Zumwalt North and Fort Zumwalt South in a big rivalry game, uh, a, a, a bit of an edge to this one after North beat South last year for the first time in a little while in the postseason. Ben, what was shaken out at Fort Zumwalt North?
4: Uh, well, uh, it was. It was It was intense. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it was... Eight in a row that uh, South had beaten North before that that playoff loss in the district championship last year. So uh, both teams came out and played played tough defense,
2: 18-18
4: at the half. Uh, wow. Zumwalt North, very, very tall, very long. They ran this 1-2-2 uh, defense that uh, they were getting their hands in passing lanes. Uh, you could tell uh, Zumwalt South was trying to run their stuff, but they, they couldn't see anything. They were throwing the ball away. They only shot 30% committed 10 turnovers um, in, in the first half. Uh, Zumwalt North, on the other hand, much much taller. Uh, their first four baskets, uh, three dunks and, and a layup. Uh, so when they were getting in the paint, I mean, they were eight for 11 in the first half from two-point range, but that three-point arc, Dave, you know it's tempting. And uh, and they, they started settling for some threes. Uh, 0 for 9 from three in the first half. Mm. So both teams... Uh, offensively, you know, 18-18, uh, struggled, but Zumwalt South found a way to kind of beat that 1-2-2 two, two in the second half, penetrating with the pass, penetrating with the dribble, finding some open shooters, uh, took a little bit of a lead on uh, a Peyton Blair layup at the at the buzzer, went up 34-33 at the end of three. Uh, and then, you know, it was kind of a two-point game the whole way. It was 42-40. And, uh, zoom Walt, zoom Walt, South was, uh, ahead and they ran a sideline. They were trying to kind of stall the ball a little bit with about two minutes left. And they, uh, and, and with under two minutes left, they ran a sideline out of bounds play. And Zach Bensing, who had not scored a point in the game, he had just checked in, uh, kind of was the, the outlet guy. Kind of, he just took backpedaled a bunch of steps toward half court, uh, and he was wide open. They threw him the ball, and he saw a lane, and and took it to the hoop, scored, and got fouled. Kind of a 40, 40 foot drive to the basket, which I'm sure his coach was like, "What are you doing? Uh, we're trying to stall the ball." And uh, but uh, he took it to the hoop, scored, got fouled. Kind of was the big, uh, the big play uh, that that sealed the game. They they made some free throws down the stretch, and Fort Zumwalt South, uh, with some vengeance, I suppose, uh, wins 49. 46
0: over ZoomWalt North tonight in a good one. So ZoomWalt North, now 8-2. Their only other loss this season was to University City. I talked to A.J. Blankenship of 314 Hoops earlier in the podcast, and we were remarking at just how remarkable University City has been this year. But ZoomWalt North with its own standout K.J. Lee, Kelvin Lee Jr., Who's been really there? The engine that has made them go, but it, uh, the box score just popped up on STLHighSchoolSports.com, and the the statistics have him for eight points tonight, well below yeah. his average. Right. And and I'm curious, what defensively, if anything, was Zumwalt South doing to try and limit uh, the Panthers' uh, leading score? KJ Lee averaging just about 19 points per game.
4: Yeah, yeah, he's. Uh... They they ran a two three zone, uh, but uh, Lee on the perimeter they would they tough ball pressure by uh, by Peyton Blair. I talked to Peyton Blair after the game uh, about what their what their uh, strategy was against Lee tonight, and he said they practiced for two days against him to try to get the ball out of his hand, and and uh, and a second person would come, they double team him, and they would just make him pass. And they said uh, we didn't care who else was going to take the shots, we just wanted to make sure. Uh, that we limited him, uh, it limited his, his shots uh, tonight. And, uh, and they did that. They, he, uh, he got a few stuff and tr- a few baskets in transition. Uh, but overall, I had him three for nine from the floor, one for five from three um, and just one for two from the foul line. So they kept him out of the paint for the most part. Uh, he was one of those guys who kind of settled for some threes uh, where it didn't look like they really, they they had to. It looked like they could get what they wanted inside, but uh, uh, but they they kind of kept him on the perimeter all night.
0: Three free throw attempts would be a low so far for KJ Lee on the season. He was entering the game. He was 36 out of 46, so obviously that's a big part of his game. But Zumwalt South with the big win, and uh, Joey Friedel leads the Bulldogs with 15 points. Isaiah Brownie with 13. And uh, Peyton Blair, who you mentioned, had nine—a very balanced scoring effort for the Bulldogs.
1: Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, Frito—he's—he's he's now the the third different leading scorer in the last three games for them. They get good balance. Um, uh, Brownlee Brownlee was uh, was really good on the boards. You know, they they really gave up a lot of inches in height to Zumwalt uh, North, but uh, but Brownlee was on the boards, had seven rebounds. I have him for. Uh, and, uh, and just went toe to toe with those, uh, with the bigs inside for, for Zoom North. They, I had them even, uh, in rebounds, uh, between the two teams and the, that aspect of just getting pounded on the offensive glass just didn't happen. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but in terms of, uh, in terms of the balance scoring, you know, Freedale hit some threes there. He was three for four from three, um, and they started to to make some shots there when they started to be able to penetrate it, the interior of that zone. When they went man, uh, they decided to go man. Uh, Zumwalt North did in the second half, and uh, and Peyton Blair, who only had two points there until he scored at the buzzer at the uh, at the end of the of the third quarter, but he started to get his rhythm as well. Uh, he ended up with nine, um, and uh, Connor uh, Becca Breedy. Uh, had seven, some tough shots in the lane uh, over top. Uh, you know, their, their, their big player, Connor uh, Turnbull, who's got – I didn't see a height on him, but I, he's got to be six nine at least. Uh, I had him down for six block shots tonight, but they just kept going at him. Uh, and I thought – you know, I, 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 I thought that they just took the ball harder. Uh, Zoomwalt South in the second half than they had in the first half. In the first half, they just seemed to be a little disoriented and not sure what to do. And then once they got the ball in the paint, they just went to the 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 glass hard, uh, got fouled or or made some shots there, and that was the difference. So
0: Zumwalt South uh, wins on its home court. For uh, the, it's won two in a row and four of its last five. It's lost three losses this season, Uh, most recently to St. Dominic in the championship of St. Dominic's holiday tournament, and then a loss at Washington, and then a loss to a very good Pattonville team who knocked off Webster Groves Friday night as well. What was Ford Zumwalt South talking about? Because that's a group who generally is in the conversation for the best team in St. Charles. And them not winning a district last year uh, was the first time in a minute. Those guys are usually really, really uh, salty. So I'm curious what the Bulldogs were talking about.
4: <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're happy with what they're doing. They said they said the two losses that they had, those, that two-game losing streak they had, uh, they had some guys in quarantine. and they, they said they were a little, you know, it kind of hit them by a surprise. They had to throw some things together in practice. Um, uh, so they, they kind of discount, you know, they, uh, those two losses as things that, uh, uh, that they're particularly worried about. And th- this role that they're on now, I mean, this is the team that they have now. Um, they're, they're starting to mesh. Uh, and uh, they said they're just getting better every day at practice. They seem to enjoy playing with each other. They seem to enjoy sharing the basketball. Uh, they have very balanced scoring and they play great defense. I mean, they, you know, at the end of the game, uh, they forced uh, two turnovers and uh, and an off-balance three in the last three possessions uh, for Zumwalt North to to finish it out. Uh, their defense just got stronger as the game got better, or as the game uh, went longer.
0: There you go. So it, if the schedule holds and if 2020-2021 has taught us anything during these COVID times, <laughs> tomorrow is not guaranteed. But operating under the assumption that there there aren't changes, uh Zoomwalt South isn't scheduled to be back at home until February 9th. They have one, two, three, four. They have five road games against GAC opponents. Zumwalt East, Timberland, Liberty, at Zoomwalt North, and then at Francis Howell North before taking on Zumwalt East again at home February 9th. So I hope the wow. Bulldogs enjoyed their home game because it appears to be the last one for a hot minute.
4: Well, the uh As a matter of fact, they did. It was senior night tonight, so they uh, they invited the parents and the families, and uh, and and, uh, I I talked to Brownlee after the game. He said this is uh, it, it was two to three times more people were in the gym tonight than than they usually have, and it was you know the 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 cheerleaders parents uh, the, the girls basketball team parents every, uh so it was a pretty it, it probably was the best atmosphere uh that i've that that i've been a part of uh in a basketball game so far it was so there was a lot of uh a lot of emotion energy in the building today
0: and that was a boys and girls double header right <laughs> That's right, right. That's right. Yeah, that's why they had everybody on campus tonight. Ben Vesa, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Man, stay safe out there. We appreciate you. Okay, thanks. I'm now joined by Joe Harris, who covers hockey for us in the winter at STLHighSchoolSports.com. Joe, thanks for coming back to the podcast first time since football season ended. You know, thanks for being here.
3: Thanks for having me. And I, I kind of missed it
0: so what's hockey been like in 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 the COVID-19 times obviously basketball in St. Louis City and St. Louis County everybody has to wear a mask while they're playing crowd restrictions are pretty much a way of life what's it look like on the hockey side of things
3: very weird (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know I it's it's just a, a different world now and um you know, and the, and previously the way I'd cover hockey, I'd sit with the scorekeeper and that way, you know, I'd get like the scoring, you know, who got the goal, and the second assist and the first assist they happened from the referees. Uh, and I, I haven't been able to do it because I, you know, social distancing and uh, you know, I've covered hockey for the last couple of years and, you know, you, you know, the ice rinks, you know, because there's all, you know, unlike the gyms where there's like, you know, dozens of them around here, there's only a handful of ice rinks here. So, you know, you know, where to set up immediately, you know, who the scorekeepers are, you know, uh, you, you know, the setup. Well, I've had to get a, used to a new setup this year because I've had to like, you know, find tables away from everybody and away from the parents. And yeah, you know, it's, it's just been a different way. And the, the kids have had to wear masks um, coming in and uh, going out. They don't wear masks on the ice. Um, you know, that's just, I guess the rules of the, the county. They, and every rink's you know, got some different parameters based on the county they're in. Sure. For example, has some different standards than Maryville does, uh, because the Replex is in St. Charles, Maryville's in St. Louis, you know, but as a whole, mid States is going by St. Louis County standards because that's where the majority of their rinks are, the majority of their teams are. So um, you know, it's it's kind of been a tenuous situation. We've seen widespread cancellations of teams having to quarantine I've covered games where, you know, usually you can count on three or four offensive lines and, you know, three defensive pairings in a regular hockey game. I've seen games with five forwards on a team because the rest of the team's had a quarantine. Man. And, you know, their whole JV's had a quarantine because, you know, of of COVID, so they couldn't pull anybody up. And, you know, it's, it's just been it, – it's a testament to mid-state's and a testament to these coaches and these kids that they've gotten as far as they've got.
0: One of the most unique parts about the hockey scene here in town is just how crazy the fans are. I mean, obviously, basketball in the winter gets its share of eyeballs, but hockey in particular, especially for like the MCC schools, because officially, for those who don't know, hockey in St. Louis is a, technically a club sport. So it... It's- Actually, it has the school name on the the jersey. The kids go to those schools, but they're not an actual school-sponsored sport. If that makes any sense, so go ahead. There's
3: exceptions to that, Dave. If you go to a school that does not have a hockey team, you are put in a pool before the season, and teams that have openings can draft you. So, on you know, we're not talking the MCC schools because they have their pick of the litter, but you know, a lot of your French public schools will have kids from other public schools, smaller public schools, that don't have teams to fill out their rosters. And that's how it's different from, uh, you know, the, the Misha approved sports as well. You could have a kid from, uh, for example, University City High School. They don't have it. Um, and they could be playing for Clayton. You know, likewise, um, Clayton, one of Clayton's top scorers, played for St. Mary's last year. Well, that program didn't continue this year so he got drafted by Clayton. so i mean it there are some 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 differences there too um you know but your average fan wouldn't pick it up unless they or know the kids personally or what so um but as you mentioned the the, the fans especially with the mcc schools like the if you go
0: student bodies are just enormous
3: if you go to an after Ice Rink on a Friday or Saturday night and see a CBC to Smack game, a Sluviani game, um, yeah, I wrote in the, the preview feature, and I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't exaggerating too much. Those crowds could get so loud they'd wake up the horses at Grants Farm across from. <laughs> and it makes it so much fun, and that's been the thing that's been missing, you know, that those crowds, and they're only allowing two parents in per player, and they have to be parents. And, uh, you look even at like the, the more blue blood public schools, for example, one of the most heated rivalries in St. Louis is Lafayette Marquette. And last year they brought in over a thousand people to watch the hockey game. Now, mm. And, you know, that's way beyond capacity for most ice rinks in St. Louis. And this year was just, you know, aside from the parents, it was just so quiet and, and just surreal. And, you know, just talking to the players after the game, um, you know, a lot of, you know, team chemistry is being put to the test uh, because more than one team has said that they need to get their energy from within themselves, whereas before they would rely on the crowd. You know, a big hit, a good shift, a a, great chance or a goal, the crowd gets going, the players get going, and they've had to generate their own momentum, their own energy this year.
0: Well I'm curious what the hockey looks like cuz I think with the with the off season is basketball in particular, it's, it's a sloppier game. Kids are not necessarily in the same shape they would have been because they haven't played for a long time in an organized kind of way. It's just, it's, you know, kind of ragged because quarantines and all kinds of things. It, it, like you'd mentioned that teams are missing players or lines or they're in and out. How has the hockey on the ice been? Has it been kind of as ragged like basketball as well?
3: It's been more ragged than in years past. I mean, for example, Vianney played almost half a schedule with only having two total practices.
0: Man, it's that's tough. It's really
3: hard in any sport to put a product that, at, at its top level with such few practices. Uh, and again, crunch the kids because with only those practices, they were able to tie CBC. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it, it, it has been a struggle. And, it's a shame because these kids, you know, believe it or not, there's a high level of high hockey that's played in St. Louis. St. Louis, the St. Louis region has put in a large number of players into the professional ranks in the past ten years. Um, you know, you look at, you know, look at the All Star game that was played in St. Louis last year. The Kachuk brothers, both St. Louis kids, yep, you know, playing in the All Star game. I mean, uh, Pat Maroon, St. Louis kids, leading the Blues to the Cup. Uh, Scoring the game-winning goal in the uh, conference finals against Ben Bishop, another St. Louis kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think that the popular meme at the time was uh, Oakville beat Chaminade. (laughs) Maroon takes the cup and trades it down Telegraph Road. I mean, that was surreal. So, I mean, St. Louis has a great hockey tradition. I think it's overlooked with with all the great basketball we've had at the same time. But this is really a golden age in, in sports for St. Louis.
0: That it is. And one of the most unique parts about the uh, the mid states championship is is it's downtown at the at, at the, the, the blues facility, if you want to call it that. What do we call it? The Enterprise Center, is that what we call it now? Yes. So I mean, and depending on who's there, I mean, the 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 spectators can be in the the thousands, if not ten thousand. I mean, it could be really impressive. I'm curious what Mid States is talking about for postseason play. Will they be allowed to be down there, or will it be at a place like Afton?
3: I've talked to Ryan Harrison. He's one of the directors for Mid States, uh, and he is adamant that the, the right now the plan is to still. Play at Enterprise Center. They said, you know, it's not about the crowd; it's about the experience for the players. Mm. Uh, you know, so that is that is still the plan this year. Uh, the question is, how many people will they be playing in front of? And that all uh, is dependent on the city of St. Louis's COVID guidelines at that time. And we're talking early March. You know, who knows what's, what what the situation is going to be like at that point? But right now, as long as long as the city's allowing. Events like that to happen, and, and right now the Blues have the OK to play games, so I can't understand why West States wouldn't. Right. Uh, the The plan is to still have both the uh, Challenge Cup and the Wickenizer Cup played uh, on the same night, back to back, at the uh, Enterprise Center.
0: So, I, who were some of the, the the better teams this season in this COVID nineteen season? Like you'd mentioned, that 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 Viani team was was. You know, really happy to tie CBC, who obviously is a perennial powerhouse, if not the big dog on the block more often than not. I mean, what does it look like as far as who the you know the better teams are?
3: Well, um, CBC's coach Sean Joseph may not be happy. I'm saying this, but CBC is the team to beat right now. They're seven zero and three, and you know, I, I was at that game where Viani tied them, and Viani came back with two goals in the third period. That it was it's like a win for Viani. And I was talking to, uh, coach shows after the game and, you know, they were five Oh and three at the time, but uh, three out of the previous five games at that point were ties. And I'm like, this has got to feel like losses to you. And he's like, yeah, but we have the crew that's veteran and, and they understand we need to be playing our best hockey in February with the playoffs than right now. And we can learn from this. And they're, I mean, they've won their last two cents and there's no reason to believe, uh, that they're, they're not going to roll into the playoffs as a team to beat. Uh, That being said, uh, you know, Vianney's always scary. Uh, Lafayette has a lot of top-end talent. Slew's always dangerous. Um, You know, there's a handful of teams uh, that can make things interesting on any given night. And, you know, that's what makes it fun. The interesting thing will be how they decide who plays for what. I mean, if you're not familiar with the hockey playoff system, they have three different cups. The Challenge Cup is for the elite team, the, the elite of the elite teams. The Wickenheiser Cup is for the, the second tier teams. And then there's the Founders Cup, you know, for you know, the, the teams that you know for the rest of the teams. Sure. And um, you know, in the past, they've decided who's in what based on ranking. And a lot of it had to do with strength of schedule, and so forth. And so you might, you would ha- routinely have an MCC school, for example, with a lesser record than another school make the Challenge Cup, and the other school make the Wisconsin Cup based on strength of schedule, based you know on another factors on the rankings. Well, with COVID, they've changed the schedule this year, and the teams. Are only playing teams within their division. It's a 16-game regular season, two games against each team in your division. So, how do you rank these teams? How do you rank strength of schedule? How do you know maybe a 500 team in one division is better than you know a team above another? And that's that's going to be the interesting thing about the playoff seeding. And uh, I think more this year, more than others, it's going to be very. Sub- Subjective, as far as, you know, the teams on the bubble for each cup.
0: Have, have they talked about altering that at all because of COVID?
3: Uh, as, from what I've gathered, they have not. It's still going to be based on rankings, um, you know, and I, I don't know exactly if they've changed the rankings or not, um, you know, or how they rank teams. I don't, you know, to be honest with you, this has never really come up before. So, you know, we, I've never had a conversation about it. Hey, how do you guys rank teams? What are you looking at? And, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting this year to see how it all plays out and to kind of pick people's minds on why this team landed where they did as compared to another team. And we won't really know this. We're, we still have two weeks left in the regular season. A lot can happen. And, um, you know, these teams are playing each other now for the second time. And they're, the familiarity there. Uh, you know, you might have one team that's healthier than the other. Um, that might come into play with the rankings this year, taking that into account. Um, you know, there's just a lot of variables right now.
0: Joe Harris, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Keep an eye out for Joe on Twitter. He's covering hockey for us at stlhighschoolsports.com. Thanks so much, Joe.
3: Thank you. I just pulled up to Fenton. I've got uh, Lindbergh and Rockwood Summit tonight with hockey and uh, we'll be taking a look at the games next week after this one and and seeing seeing where we're going to be at and uh, you know yeah uh, please give us a follow buy a newspaper and uh, you know keep this thing rolling for us thanks
0: (laughs) thanks Joe thanks again to AJ Blankenship of 314 Hoops Greg Upton Ben Vessa, and Joe Harris for joining the podcast this week we appreciate it we'll be back next week talking more hoops more pucks and maybe even some wrestling with Steve Overby Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week.